Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and the many facets uh, on in that topic, sales, development, marketing, pricing, and about five other things that I can't even think of right now, because I'm so excited to have Steven Zylstra, who uh, heads up the Arizona Technology Council. Steven, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to have you, and I've been um, kind of on the orbit of the Tech Council, and it's time for me to join, and um, we will, I'll be joining by the end of the day today, because I, I just need to do that. Uh, I've been so impressed with the community. So why don't you describe for people what the, the, tech, uh, the Arizona Technology Council is, because it's not just a networking group. No, we're a uh, trade association uh, representing the technology-based industries uh, across Arizona. So as a trade association, we do all the things that, uh, say, a chamber might do. We do public policy advocacy. We're sort of the voice and face of the tech industry with the state legislature, with the governor's office, with our congressional delegation. We always have a very uh, aggressive uh, agenda from a policy standpoint on an annual basis. Uh, we produce uh, content and uh, deliver that to our members through uh, programs and events. And uh, pre-COVID, we did about 160 events a year face-to-face. Uh, I think we probably did almost 80 uh, last year virtually and uh, continuing the virtual events into the new year. Uh, we have a number of publications. We have a magazine called Tech Connect, a newsletter called Tech Talk. We do two podcasts, uh, Tech Cast and Tech Focus. Um, and we contribute to a lot of the uh, local business publications, Arizona Business Magazine, In Business, and the Phoenix Business Journal, all really focused on the trends in the technology industry, what's going on, uh, focused on our members and the cool things that they're doing, uh, the innovators, uh, the scientists, the engineers, the technologists. And then finally, we um, negotiate lower cost products and services for our members. 85% um, of our members are what you might consider a small business. And uh, we use the sort of aggregation of our entire membership to negotiate lower cost products. Uh, so we pro provide an association health plan, provide medical, dental, vision, life, disability, HSA. We run a 401k program. And with a, a group of partners, we run a preferred business partners program on discounts on all kinds of services, including uh, accounting, printing, web development, SEO, those kinds of things. So. Uh, full service trade association, unique in that uh, our focus is on technology-based businesses. Yeah, you know, that, how, how long has the Technology Council been um, up and running? 
Well, we've been around in one form or fashion since 1985 uh, under different names. But in 2002, the Arizona High Tech Industry Cluster and the Arizona Software and Internet Association, or otherwise called AZSoft, merged and became the Arizona Technology Council. I ask that because that suite of services, that rich, robust community is not the creation of a couple months. That There's a lot of work. You have to be pretty well established before you've got members and you can start spending the energy on coming up with an association health plan. Yeah, and we have almost 800 members uh, of offices in both Phoenix uh, and Tucson, and they sort of go over the spectrum of tech-based companies. We've got semiconductor electronics, IT, telecom, bioscience, optics, photonics, energy. Uh, so it's not just one thing. It's uh, really all tech-enabled, um, tech-focused enterprises in Arizona. Yeah, and the tech community in Arizona is, you know, when I moved here in 87, uh, the tech community was there, but it was kind of underground. You had to be in it to know it was there. And now it's becoming a little bit more well-known, perhaps not to um, people in, uh, in the last few years, even people in Silicon Valley have known that uh, that Arizona is a, is a tech hub. But um, tell us how that's kind of coming to its own and, and gaining some national prominence and what that what that's done for you and what it takes to have accomplished. Well, I'd like to think uh, that much of the policy work we've done over the years has created a, an environment here that's very conducive to the creation, expansion, and attraction of technology-based companies. We have a uh, low cost of living, uh, high standard of living. We have uh, low corporate taxes. Uh, we have the best research and development tax credit in the nation. We have an angel investment tax credit. All of these things uh, lead to being a very attractive place uh, for companies to move operations, grow operations, or uh, create a new uh, a new enterprise. And as you know, we have pretty nice weather as well, and that. Uh, does a good job at attracting a lot of talent out here. So you're right, we're on the precipice of being uh, a tech hub, a major tech hub uh, in the US. When you think of them, you think of course, Silicon Valley, you mentioned that, but Austin and Boston and Denver and Seattle, uh, not Phoenix or Tucson, but uh, over the last five or 10 years, that's really changed. And since the Great Recession, we've uh, really diversified our economy in a way that um, will make us the first out of this recession as, a, as opposed to the last as we were in the Great Recession. Very interesting. So in the Tech Council there, you know, I just have gone through the, the website at some length, but, um, you have communities of interest for photonics for you know various technology focuses so that people concentrating on those can can share best practices but there's there's also some general business stuff which is kind of where i am interested in which i grow i help any technology business grow by helping them understand their value focus their marketing their message their people around uh, the value they deliver to customers. And so um, it sounds like you have some elements of both just the, the technology, you know, the 
technology improvement, but helping you on your grow your business regardless of? Well, one of the reasons we have so much programming is, first of all, we try and be attractive to people sort of throughout the enterprise. So not just the techies, but accountants and marketers and management and so on. So a lot of our uh, programming provides uh, insight and ideas and so on around those that, around those topics. But obviously, uh, you know, tech topics are important. Uh, we have a, we have both programming and committees. We have about 13 standing committees. And uh, as you pointed out, we have one in optics and photonics. Uh, we have one in medical technology, uh, the Internet of Things, met, um, uh, cybersecurity. But we also have them in law and technology and workforce development and education and public policy and you know, other areas, women in the workforce, we run a tech inclusion forum. So uh, we tried to have programming and um, communities of interest, as you've described them, that are appealing to a variety of different uh, people across an organization. So you, you kind of mentioned earlier that you went from maybe 160 in-person events a year. And then during COVID, it was 80 and now maybe growing in virtual events. What's the driver and, and how do you change? And uh, I'm especially interested in if, if any of those changes are things that people can uh, latch onto and take for themselves of, of what you had to change, what you learned as you were trying to change that model. Well, it, it was very much a learning experience. Um, you know, the world had never been through anything quite like this. And, um, you know, I think it was March 11, uh, which happens to be my birthday, was sort of our last physical event in, in 2020. And uh, we had to figure out how to deliver content uh, to our members in a, in a new way. Um, we ended up having to evaluate a large number of different types of platforms so that we could uh, uh, recreate the kind of environment that our members were used to in um, signature events like conferences that including an exhibition and uh, so on. Uh, you know, our tech speaker series was much easier to convert because you can have uh, either a keynote or two or a a few panelists and you know work off Zoom or or Microsoft Teams or other platforms. But you know, in the at the beginning, first of all, people didn't know what was going to happen, right? They, we were unsure in the first month, two, three, four months, what the future held. So people just sort of backed off of things, uh, and that was difficult. Uh, and in addition to that. Um, people at the beginning weren't willing to pay for um, online or virtual content. Um, it's not something they were used to. Uh, that began to change uh, when people came to the realization that COVID wasn't going away anytime soon. And the idea that uh, we could be in close proximity to each other, such as the case in a face-to-face -face meeting um, seemed far off in the distance. So the only way to get content then was to be able to, uh, you know, buy into the idea that I'm going to have to pay for, for a virtual event. But that was a, that was a tough uh, transition. And 
I think uh, going forward, uh, it's been such a successful transition that uh, I think we're going to have a blended world. Um, yes, we're going to go back to face-to-face -face events. Uh, people uh, miss the social interaction um, th that they get in a face-to-face -face event. Um, I think we're all sort of zoomed out, if you will. You know, yeah. some of us will have eight or eight or ten of these. But we've also realized that you know we don't have the the time to drive to and from an event. Uh, we can move directly from one uh, event or conversation or discussion uh, to another. Uh, we can do that from the comfort of our home. So I think our future will be um, blended. I think the Tech Council won't go back to 100% face-to-face meetings. We'll have many, but um, I think we'll also continue to have some virtual events as well. Yeah, you know, I was early on, I was trying to organize a, a virtual event. I bailed on it when everybody was doing virtual events and I, um, I wanted to wait until I could do a great job of it and uh, the Zoom fatigue, it kind of, I, I knew what the, what level of Zoom fatigue I'd be fighting against. Um, but one of the things uh, a, a person I was collaborating with told me is there, there are some things when you're virtual that you can't get in an in-person event. Um, if you've got a speaker and they've got a, you've got maybe a panel of speakers or different um, educational tracks, in person, you have to choose one, which means not choosing and never having access to the others. Uh, in a virtual event, they can be recorded and not only can you get whichever ones you want, but if you want, you can listen to them at 150% speed and blast through them. Right. Um, so the, the, the trade-offs are different. And if you're only trying to mimic that in-person world, you might be inadvertently missing some of those advantages that you get from the, the virtual presentation. I, I think that's that's a great point. There, there are other things you're missing um, in a virtual world though. Like it's harder to read body language, oh, right? And, and body language is such an important aspect of uh, communication. And oftentimes if you're in a face-to-face -face event, you know, you'll hear a speaker and then you get to, go up and talk to them afterwards, right? And uh, have them expound on some point that they made or ask them detailed questions. And, you know, that's harder to do uh, in a virtual situation. You can ask questions though, throughout the presentation. And if you've got a great facilitator, uh, that facilitator can uh, interrupt the speaker and ask those pointed questions during the course of the, sure. of the presentation. So. Yeah, I think there are pluses and minuses, um, advantages and disadvantages to both um, both worlds, if you will. Yeah, I, I heard another one. This, this is perfectly, this is just off the wall, random and interest, but I found it interesting. Uh, somebody said that when you are appearing on Zoom, uh, your audience sees you in a, as if you are three to four feet away which is the optimum social distance. And actually, um, physiologically, we confer more credibility and trust to somebody that we have let within three or four feet. So when I'm, when, I, when I'm speaking to you from three or four feet away, you believe me more than when I'm giving the exact same speech with the exact same body language at the exact same volume level, 
on a stage 50 feet away. I think um, that's interesting. I hadn't uh, heard that um, that research, but, uh, it, but that makes sense. And, and, you know, some people are in a face-to-face environment, um, not as uh, outgoing and gregarious as they find themselves uh, in a virtual world. Yeah. Uh, you know, this computer screen uh, between us seems to be, create some level of safety. So if, uh, you know, you did have a speaker and you weren't particularly uh, outgoing, you might not go ask those questions. But here you can either ask them in chat, uh, you can do it anonymously. And so it creates a different uh, environment um, that you don't have in a a physical one-on-one space. So going forward, you think you're going to have a hybrid. And um, now looking more broadly, rather than just what the tech council is going to be doing going forward and having a hybrid, do you see any future developments? Has pandemic changed the way we think, the way we work, the way we do things, the way we solve problems in a way that technology companies have new opportunities or old opportunities have been closed off? How is the world changing and how is technology going to how are we going to see technology change from this um, year, year and a half um, freeze that it went in, that the world went into? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, we've heard talk for years and years now about a digital transformation that uh, was going to take place in not only our economy, but economies around the world. And, um, you know, people talk about, um, you know, this being sort of the, the fourth um, evolution. And, uh, and uh, I think what this has done is accelerated that digital transformation in a way that would have never happened under nor- normal circumstances. Um, one, we were all forced into it, right? Yeah. It wasn't as though uh, we made this, the decision on our own. We were forced into it. So I think um, it's going to accelerate uh, digital transformation. I think uh, the tools and technologies and methodologies that um, uh, benefit us, our efficacy, uh, uh, every aspect of what we do is going to be enhanced uh, as a consequence of this. Um, you know, one great example is um, had you ever gone to a doctor before over the internet? Never. Uh, my wife is a surgeon, and she said that she didn't want to do it because uh, insurance companies and Medicare wouldn't reimburse for it. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I never want to have to go back to the doctor's office again unless there's some reason for them to physically check something, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a perfect example. Also, online learning. Well, you know, we have some issues, right? We don't have... Uh, broadband in uh, rural and urban areas like we need it. Many students don't have the devices that are necessary to do online learning. Uh, But every university in the country, every K through 12 institution had to convert uh, to this online virtual world. And I suspect that uh, a great deal of that will continue. You know, we we were a, uh, I don't know, pioneer in online learning, right? Because the University of Phoenix started here. 
sort of challenged the rest of the world. And now every academic institution does online learning. But this has accelerated it to a point that we could have never uh, imagined. And it cuts across all kinds of aspects of, of our lives. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that um, my book came out two days after your birthday, uh, March 13th, Friday the 13th of March. Um, and I had an interview uh, that went on the air on uh, tens of thousands of airplane seatbacks that had nobody to watch them <laughs> at that time. But uh, at that time, if I look back at that time, I was saying, boy, you know, it will, I did a lot of sales training um, in companies and I would fly in and do some sales training with a dozen to 25 people at a time and fly back and go back and forth and do that a bunch of times if they had enough people, uh, a large enough cohort needing training. And everybody realized that the travel to and from wasn't paid and it was really inefficient. And um, I, we all dreamed of the day when the customers would accept an online learning environment. And we actually had had a hybrid learning environment where you take a course and then the online experience is going to be where we apply it and wrestle with it together. And what didn't you understand? And so it was an understanding reinforcement session uh, rather than a training session that you did online. And suddenly uh, the world forced everything to be virtual. So um, the world squeezed my lemons, and now I had to figure out how to make lemonade out of it real quick. Yeah, I think we all found ourselves in that situation. Um, let me give you another similar example to your own. Um, my daughter went to the University of Arizona and has a degree in MIS, Management Information Systems. So she went to work for a consulting firm. And, you know, it's sort of a, a boutique Accenture like consulting firm. Yeah. So for the last three years she's been working at a um, big pharma uh, and, uh, you know, doing consulting there. And uh, of course, COVID stopped all that. People that were in the consulting field, um, as you know, they get burned out because they do so much travel. Yeah. And the expectation was they had to be on site in order to do that kind of consulting. Well, guess what? That's not true. Um, they have found out that they could do just as good of a job uh, remotely. So that's going to transform that whole industry. And consultants and, are cash cow for the airline industry. What, what yep. will the airline, um, the airline industry is going to be forever changed. Office equip, uh, office space is going to be forever changed. Yeah, you've, you've heard a lot of big tech announce that, uh, you know, they're either putting off people coming back for a year or two. Uh, some of, like Microsoft has said, you never have to come back. Um, yeah. You know, if you can do your job from home and you can do it with the same productivity and efficiency that you can do by coming in the office, uh, why not? And some of us have found that we work longer and harder and get more done because we don't have all those gaps of yeah. travel and so on that we have to deal with. Yeah, I always, you know, in 2000-ish, uh, uh, I worked for a company and I scheduled a minimum of one day a week working from home because there's just some kind of work that I can't get done at the office and I had to stay up with that. Um, and here we are now, 
having that expectation. I was just thinking in the late 80s, uh, I worked for a company and I had to go to a trade show or a conference by the International Facility Managers Association, IFMA. And one of the keynote speakers was a futurist. And he said that knowledge work really doesn't require physical presence anymore. So this is in 1990, 30 years ago. All right. Knowledge work doesn't require physical pre presence because we're all, take. it used to be once upon a time, you would do something to a piece of paper and that piece of paper had to go to somebody in a, essentially on a knowledge worker conveyor belt uh, where that piece of paper had to be acted on and didn't done something with that then went to somebody else. It might've been transposed onto a different piece of paper and they, the physical pieces of paper had to be in close proximity in order for that process to work. And that doesn't, that's not the case anymore. And right. As you know, even, you know, leading up to COVID, um, many states have been passing laws that uh, allow you to do contracts online and, you know, things that we never could have done historically. So, um, you know, again, this situation accelerates that beyond anybody's wildest imagination. Yeah, I've talked, I, I so many, yeah I've talked to so many people who said we were planning on doing this, but we were planning, we were expecting it was going to take five years, but it took five months. Yeah. Um, and to your other point, um, I believe that from a, a, a work environment, we're going to also have a blended world, meaning, you know, you're going to spend maybe two days in the office and three days from working from home. Um, some won't go in a, at all, but I think, you know, physical interaction is a necessary thing for the human being. It's, yeah. it's so essential. So, you know, we're not going to eliminate interacting with each other. Uh, some of the me methods that we uh, use may change, but uh, I think people currently are yearning for social interaction. Yeah. <laughs> I sure am. I can't wait to buy you a drink again one of these days. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, Stephen, um, what a great conversation. Uh, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about the Arizona Tech Council if they want to learn more? Well, the, our website is aztechcouncil.org. Um, my uh, email address, fine to send me an email, is just szylstra, which is my last name, at aztechcouncil.org. And uh, happy to respond to anyone and uh, always try and get to my emails within 24 hours. That's great. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. And uh, what a great conversation. I really appreciate it. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe one of our central tenets is that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means your success with your customer is all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old don't know value This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.